0: You're listening to Inside Chicago Government. C-H-I-G-O-V, as in victory, dot com.
1: This is Dave Glowatz. It's July 15th, 2013. Today's report is a response to questions from a listener who wrote in asking about the Chicago Housing Authority and efforts by the city of Chicago to support low-income residents in need of housing. To help us step through these issues I have with me today, Leah Levenger. Leah is director of a non governmental organization called the Chicago Housing Initiative. Thank you for joining us today. My pleasure. Before we get into our listeners' questions, tell us a little bit about the Chicago Housing Initiative. Chicago
0: Housing Initiative is a coalition of nine community based organizations that work with low income families and seniors to help them build power to preserve, improve, and expand low rent housing options in Chicago.
1: Can you give me an example of how you do that?
0: Well, lately we've been doing a lot of policy work, but our work spans the gamut of bed bugs remediation issues and subsidized housing to you know, federal budget and policy questions. Some of the work that we do is focused on skill building amongst the constituents that we organize with. In fact, pretty much all of it is focused on skill building. And empowerment, empowerment processes. So it's everything from voter registration to helping people facilitate meetings to helping people with research tasks to figure out who is even making decisions about, you know, what happens with their housing, which is generally not obvious.
1: How is your organization funded?
0: We are mostly privately funded, though we did just accept a government grant for the first time this past year. Ruh-roh. ruh <laughs> <laughs> It's the beginning of the end. <laughs> Pope Brothers Foundation is our most consistent um, and most generous funder.
1: Let's get into our listeners' questions. And this came from a listener, Beth, who wrote in via Twitter. And one of her questions had to do specifically with the Chicago Housing Authority and the Cabrini-Green lawsuit and what's called the New Phase Plan Forward. And she says, I'm curious about where these priorities are derived from. She wants us to look at CHA leadership and who makes decisions. So I guess maybe we should back up a step and maybe you can help explain what the Plan Forward is.
0: Plan Forward is the name that the mayor and the Chicago Housing Authority leadership gave to a recent new blueprint for the future of public housing in Chicago. The mayor released this plan A few months ago on a Saturday, it was in April, uh, he actually released the plan and did a press conference about it before it actually went to the CHA Board of Commissioners, which was absolutely fascinating.
1: What's fascinating about that?
0: Just complete lack of process. So the board itself had no oversight role. They hadn't reviewed or approved the document. If anything, they had actually sent the document back to him twice, we heard off the record from some board members saying, this is not detailed enough. We have no idea what you're talking about here. And fill this out. Like, this is not a helpful planning document. He moved forward. He released it anyway. Let the commissioners know about its release about 24 hours in advance, at least. The commissioners who talked to us, (laughs) he let know. This is the
1: unofficial story.
0: Yeah. And then about two months later, it actually went before the board uh, and was passed ceremoniously and without dissent.
1: This speaks to the style of this mayor and perhaps the previous mayor around the control of the CHA.
0: Right. So it's like a new level of uh, not only does he appoint the board and the CHA CEO, apparently also consulting with them is actually unnecessary. (laughs) (laughs) And yes, I think that speaks to the power dynamics of the CHA pretty well.
1: What about the plan itself?
0: It's very vague. As a housing advocate, it doesn't tell me anything that I'd want to know. Like, for example... CHA is theoretically responsible for producing 25,000 low-rent apartments to replace the public housing units that they've torn down, and they're over 3,000 units away from that gold, even in the most generous interpretation. They have three years to complete those 25,000 units. There's pretty much no apartments in the construction pipeline, and the plan tells you nothing about where they, where they will be built, um, and how the CHA will finance the building. So I guess it's easier to say what's not in it. That's not in it. That's a pretty critical piece of information that absolutely no detail is given. They talk about future benchmarks where they will tell us some of the actual things that we would want to know. What is alluded to in the plan is a more aggressive privatization of not just housing assets, but also land assets. So the plan for transformation is possibly Chicago's longest-running privatization program. It doesn't tend to be thought of in that way, but that's exactly what it is. And normally, at least the past 13 years of the plan have involved public land being retained as public, but then being leased for 99 years to private developers. Hmm. The private developers construct what gets called replacement housing, um, but it's not public housing anymore. There's a huge misconception about that that I just wish people would... (laughs) I will do a better job communicating (laughs) about it. So the housing that gets built is 100% privately owned. It's built on top of public land, but it's privately owned housing. 99-year land leases with the developers, and then the housing is legally... Guaranteed to be affordable for 15 to 30-year terms. Sometimes you get up to 40 years. It depends on the arrangement.
1: What does that mean, legally affordable?
0: There's restrictions on the rents that the owner, the private owner, can charge. And there's restrictions on the income tiers that the owner can rent the housing to.
1: So namely, lower income tiers.
0: Lower income tiers, yeah. So for these quote replacement units, they're targeted to families making less than 80% of the area median income. It's actually quite a pretty penny if I ever make 80% of the area median income. I'll be delighted.
1: So you wouldn't call that low income?
0: Yeah, it's like $60,000 for a family of four. So people can't make more than that and live in these replacement units.
1: And in this economy, that's actually rather remarkable to be making that.
0: Yeah, it's good money. Obviously, most of the public housing relocatees are much lower income. Yeah. So the average public housing relocatee is at the, in terms of the policy phrases, um, zero to 30% of area median income, which is more like $22,000 a year for yeah, a family of four. Yeah. So, you know, we're talking about minimum wage workers, we're talking about folks on fixed
1: incomes. So this housing is not for them. This
0: housing can be for them for the next 15 to 30 years. What happens with the remaining, you know, 69 to 59 years where the developer <laughs> controls this housing and there's not legal restriction on what rents are charged or who the owner rents to is a big question for us, the uh, Chicago go. Housing That's Initiative. Anything goes, it sounds like. Anything goes. So it's actually a longer deal than the privatization deal that we Chicagoans love to hate. The so, <laughs> parking meter deal.
1: So these developers are getting long-term leases on public land. Correct. Restricted to people who are of a certain level of income, which is not all that low.
0: And not all the units have those restrictions on them. So, so some can be market rate. Right. Oh, I mean in all of these redevelopments, there's Some component of market rate housing.
1: And then after that period of time, then it reverts to however they want to sell it.
0: Right. After the 15 to 30 year period, again, sometimes you get to 40 years. So the classic model is a third, a third, a third, a third replacement housing for public housing relocatees, a third, quote, affordable housing, which really does target up to 80 percent of area median income. So, um, again, not very affordable at all to people from from my universe And then a third, market-rate housing, market-rate for sale or market-rate rentals. The ratios are not held in stone. They fluctuate development by development. We're seeing a lot more developments with a higher percentage of market-rate housing and a much lower percentage of public housing or replacement housing. It's not public anymore. But what's unique about the mayor's new version, the mayor's new plan for the CHA, and it's not spelled out very concretely, but there's allusions to the idea of taking these public land assets like where public housing used to sit and just wholesale sales of those land assets. And that would be a much deeper level of, I don't know how to say this without editorializing, dispossessing the public than what's historically happened.
1: So essentially, converting public assets to to private uh, assets
0: for Lord knows what reason really.
1: Let's go back to the plan forward. Given that the plan forward doesn't have lots of specifics in it, what do you think the purpose of issuing the plan forward was?
0: That's a great question. My sense is that the purpose of this, you know, it was a it was fanfare more than substance, that's for sure. Although there's enough in there that the board of the CHA has now passed that gives Rom cover for some moves forward that would be a new precedent to set. So I think to some degree he's covering his bases, but in ways that are very difficult to fight back against. I mean, you can't really, you can't really cry out about a plan that has no details whatsoever. And that only gives the vaguest outline of some architecture of policies.
1: So you have to read between the lines. You have to read
0: between the lines. And then, you know, we kind of sound like the crazy people saying like, it kind of looks like he's talking about this thing. But it doesn't say that. But it doesn't exactly say that. But it's sort of in there, you know, so it it makes the uh, the residents and the organizers response more difficult um, when there's no details. It's hard to cry foul on something that just looks like it's heading in a bad almost, direction.
1: Almost sounds deliberate.
0: Yeah. It's interesting the way he framed the plan. It, it really refocuses attention of what the housing authority is going to be doing away from the actual provision of housing and towards this social service delivery. So to me, it really seems like, a, let me razzle-dazzle them and make them look over here at the social service program, which is really not the housing authority's core purpose and definitely not its core strength, I mean, they've run social service programs for decades and they're notoriously ineffective and hated. So, you know, to focus on that in this plan that's supposed to be something that explains how the CHA will complete the plan for transformation, and then it does nothing to say how the CHA will complete the plan for transformation, (laughs) but talks about all these other things that they'll do. You know, it's just like a big distraction.
1: That ties into Beth's second question. She says, with so many residents on a waiting list for... Affordable housing and affordable housing so scarce overall, shouldn't other city agencies focus on wraparound services? And I want to get to other city agencies in a minute, but you just mentioned other social services that CHA is notoriously ineffective on. Can you give me examples of that?
0: Honestly, not a lot of specifics. I just know that when I talk with people about the service programs that they go to, the service connector programs. What is that? It's kind of that notion of like a wraparound agency that you can show up at and they'll help you with anything you need, you know, resume writing or job training. Run by whom? It's run by the CHA. It's hmm. CHA staff who staff the programs. I think there's a lot of good individuals who are trying to do good work with them, but I don't think they've been particularly successful in like a statistical measurable kind of way.
1: And I think Beth's question addresses city agencies other than the CHA specifically, how do other city agencies support low-income people who need housing, to your knowledge?
0: I guess there's a Department of Family... Family and Sports Services. Actually, I don't want to let the CHA off the hook in this conversation because I I hear Beth's question about housing is so scarce overall, so shouldn't we focus on services to try to help people, uh, I guess, make do without housing, knowing how limited it is? I think the scarcity that we're looking at is it is a manufactured reality. It is not something that is inevitable. Um, and so I'll give you a couple examples. Chicago Housing Authority actually has over 3,500 public housing units that they still receive funding for that are vacant. Many of these have already been rehabilitated in the funding CHA. Funding from the feds? Funding from the feds. The CHA will not lease them, in many cases, because they intend to tear them down. And if they actually leased these apartments, then they would have to provide replacement housing. But the scarcity that we see is an intentional scarcity. Even in the face of budget cuts and whatever else one might cry out about, you can literally walk around the city. I could do a tour for people of some perfectly fine housing that exists, that is boarded, that has been boarded for 6 to 13 years.
1: And just kept off the market? Just
0: kept off the market. And the Housing Authority receives 6000 to $10,000 every year from the feds for each of these units occupied or not 34 million last year that came into the cha on the basis of apartments the cha never leased
1: what are they doing with all that money great question i don't know
0: but another way in which chicago housing initiative criticizes the cha's role as it relates to again creating like manufactured scarcity of low-rent housing options is that the CHA also sucks up about 50% of the city of Chicago's affordable housing resources every year.
1: This is in the city's budget?
0: This is in the city's housing plan. Every five years, the city creates an affordable housing plan. Under a manual, it's simply a housing plan.
1: Affordable is dispensable.
0: Why would we think about public subsidy only going to, you know, below-market housing? Why would we think about that? It's just a housing plan. Literally several billion dollars of city funds, and let's just Talk about where we're going to put them in housing.
1: So how do you mean it sucks up these resources? Some portion of the city's budget goes to the CHA for housing.
0: For public housing redevelopments. So the plan for transformation is partially federally funded and partially locally funded. Since the year 2000, roughly 50% of our own city dollars have gone towards redevelopments where we lose affordable housing. So we're, we're literally spending affordable housing resources in ways that show a massive net reduction in the amount of affordable housing out there. So I could carry you through the different five-year plans and the level of net loss of affordable housing resources that we saw because of the city's investment of public money (laughs) into these redevelopments. They're privatizations. They're uh, taking housing assets that are publicly owned and publicly managed and tearing down that housing and then transferring control of the land to private developers, giving them massive levels of subsidy up front to produce what ends up being, you know, no less than a third of market rate housing and often much more.
1: So you're painting a picture of tax dollars being funneled through the CHA to private developers to develop private housing.
0: You got it. And I'm going to come back to that. But what I'll say first, before giving a little bit more detail about the specifics of that, is that, you know, there's a zero-sum game here, right? The city has not unlimited resources. They have significant resources, but they're not unlimited And when the city chooses to spend those on demolition and privatization proposals, that means that there is affordable housing that could have been built afresh in some neighborhood that's not getting funded. There's this terrible irony that the agency that we rely on as the central agency to make sure there are low-rent housing options in the city of Chicago is actually one of the more aggressive agents in the dismantling of affordable housing in Chicago. But going back to the question of developers, so Plan for Transformation over the last 13 years – there's been 41 multi-million, and I mean you know, tens and tens of millions of dollars of redevelopment contracts. 33 of them have gone to just six developers who have earned collectively $47 million in developer fees. And that does not look at the cost of construction. That is literally money paid to a development group for the service of telling us <laughs> how much it costs to do the construction. The
1: professional fees.
0: Yeah, the professional fees, right? So we're talking nearly $50 million to six agencies so incredible consolidation of these contracts to a few players. And there's like 637 acres of public land that are now, for the next 99 years, going to be in the hands of these development groups.
1: So a possible Pulitzer Prize-winning investigation might involve looking at these developers and what their connections are to certain uh, office holders.
0: You would have lots of fun, I think. <laughs> <laughs> um, it gets a little complicated to track that stuff down, though, because sometimes they're donating through their wives or their children. or You know, I mean, it, it's messy. One of the funner tidbits we found is we did try to bark up that tree was the head of Related Midwest. (laughs) His wife, who is a housewife, donated $10,000 to Rahm Emanuel in the last election cycle. We're like, I don't don't think a housewife has $10,000 to give. So maybe that came from her husband, the head of this Massive development Or the cookie firm.
1: jar that they keep in the pantry.
0: Yeah. I mean, every time Housewives. I put a penny in my yeah, right, jar, right. As a jar, yeah.
1: it adds up quick. We're almost out of time here, Leah. First of all, why don't you give your website address?
0: We are about to launch a website, and we will be www.chicagohousinginitiative.org. We're on Facebook, though. You can like us if you search for Chicago Housing Initiative, and we also have a Twitter
1: feed. How can folks support the efforts to help residents get affordable housing?
0: So I think that's a great question. I think... You know, this is Chicago, and so the intensive legacy of race and class divisions inside the city is very much still with us, and one of the most significant factors that we deal with is the incredible level of stigma that low-income residents have, and so anything that a listener can do to make contact with an alderman or their congressperson to say, you know what, I am down with low-income people living next to me because I get that they are the people that serve me my coffee, who I buy my groceries from, who do my dry cleaning, and I'm actually cool with them not just doing all those services for me and then shipping themselves out to the south suburbs. I'm cool with them living near me. That is a really meaningful step. Um, and if more people did it, a lot of this corruption and waste that we see wouldn't be tolerated because the constituents on behalf of whom these dollars flow, people would actually think it matters that they'd be used appropriately.
1: Got it. That's all we've got time for. Leah, thanks for joining me today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Listeners, we welcome your questions and comments and suggestions on future interviews and questions to address. Search for us on Facebook and Twitter. Look for Inside Chicago Government. I'm Dave Glowatz. Thanks for listening.